Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. So, good morning. Um, I'm, I'm kind of giddy and, and um, uh, excited and excitable today because in the morning I'm leaving town for the first time, except for one other day trip since COVID. Yeah. Siri and I have not gone out of town together since the shutdown. That's been almost two years. Yeah. Yeah, we took a, you know, a small road trip this summer and that it did feel kind of um, liberating, um, <laughs> fun to be out and about. And it is interesting how little we've left home, meaning my family over the last two years. But that's exciting. I'm glad you're going somewhere. Do you want to share where? Shall those details be left unspoken? No, no, no. Um, my son and his wife have a second home that's really more like a cabin. They keep telling me how tiny it is. That is on a lake somewhere west of Austin, about three hours from here. Wonderful. And so we're going over there in the morning and stay till Sunday night. And uh, that's great. His uh, wife, Cindy, sent us an email uh, a couple of days ago and said, uh, I want to check and see if you all have any particular plans that you would like to do this time when you're away. And then she went ahead and spelled out, including what we would be eating, an itinerary for all the time we're there. It really sounds fun. So Yeah, I was going to ask you going to the winery. So there's a winery. Yeah. Yeah. There's a winery nearby and other things to do. So I'm really looking forward to it. And so now you, you're you going to get showcased on Ordinary Life on Sunday all by your lonesome. Well, I won't be by my lonesome, actually. I'll be dialoguing with my really dear friend and really great environmentalist and leader in the city, Jaime Gonzalez. Um, he works for the Nature Center and he really is a deeply spiritual person too. So for him, this sort of weaving in of ecology, biology, and spirituality is a natural thread. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to talk about is what does that look like and how do we become better ancestors so that we can leave this planet for our future generations in better shape. <laughs> Well, it was really disappointing to me to see that not very much came out of the climate summit that's just recently been concluded. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, so there's definitely some things that countries can do based on policy and reduction of harmful emissions, et cetera. But it's also up to the consumer. How do we make small changes in our life? Um, so that we consume differently and therefore leave a different footprint. We have a staff person here at St. Paul's, Helen Spa, who has recently taken over, among other responsibilities, adult faith development. Uh, mm -hmm. And and she is 
a really committed green person. And mm -hmm. uh, she's doing incredible things here at St. Paul's to keep St. Paul's moving in the direction of being green. Yeah, it's important. I mean, there's not a disconnection between our spiritual well-being and environmental well-being. I, I have this sort of thought that we are we exist at every levels, right? We have the personal, we have the intrapersonal, we have the ecological, and we have the cosmological. And um, those last layers, the ecological and cosmological, sometimes feel so far off that they feel hard to sort of incorporate into our being. But our mental health and our time spent with nature are extremely tied. Yep. Yep. Well, I hope that that goes well. I'm sorry I will not get to meet this person because you. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, you speak very, very highly of him. And you were telling me that you um, gave birth this morning. <laughs> Don't scare anyone, Bill. <laughs> I did at approximately 1 a.m., maybe it was 12.57. I submitted my dissertation proposal, which means that I'm once this process gets approved, once my proposal gets approved, then I'm in the actual writing of the dissertation phase and um, almost going to be get going to be called doctor. <laughs> so um, if all things go well, that means by the spring I will have finished or submitted a dissertation and we'll be looking for approval for that. So. Yeah, I've been working on this proposal all semester. It's, you know, it happens sort of in chunks and this was the chunk I am on, but it really felt good to get that submitted because I can see that maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I can also see that beyond the proposal, it's really just fitting in the details of what it is that I wanna talk about, so. So you and Matt Russell, whom we both mm -hmm. love and respect, have both gotten really involved in a book on uh, liberation theology. Psychology. Liberation yeah. psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really wonderful. I'm listening to the audio book because I couldn't um, locate a, a hard copy of it um, for less than something. I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's still in print or not, but it, it is um, a really rich and rewarding listen, a really rich and rewarding book. I talked a little bit about it last Sunday, but this um, Jesuit priest, Ignacio Martin Barro, really sort of combined theology and psychology and liberation to think about a psychology of liberation. You know, we, we were talking about the importance of depth psychology that often happens on an individual level between the therapist and the client. Sometimes in groups, um, I have friends who have been involved in dream groups, for example, um, but this that is on a very one-to-one -one level. And sometimes that individual goes back out into the world and the circumstances of the environment feel so hard to change. So what psychologies of liberation look at is how do we take that interpersonal, intrapersonal, process and move it into the interpersonal and in to affect community change. And um, it, it makes so much sense, right? Because we're so much more than just our individual experience. We're informed by the people around us, what happens to and 
with us. Um, we're informed by the social and political dynamics of the place in which we live. And to connect the individual experience to that sort of broader cosmology, if you will, really can aid in both personal and collective freedom from oppression and repression. So I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. I think it's a really wonderful read. And, and why couldn't you get a hard copy? That's a very unusual. I, I don't know. I feel like the ones that I found were really expensive. So I decided just to download the audiobook instead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do, you, do you see a, a parallel between this liberation theology and what we've been talking about, about mysticism? Absolutely. And this is, so this is also like an idea that I really love is that, so William James, a founder in some ways of psychology and mystical experience, um, he wove psychology and theology together, which you can speak even more eloquently about, I'm sure, because you probably were among the first students to really learn about and from William James. Um, but he, he also focused on mystical experience as a kind of individual transformation. Um, it's something that happens in the individual and then affects how the individual then moves through the world. So that's the sort of typical mystical experience that we think about. This individual has a transformation, undergoes a change, and then shows up differently. Um, there's also some work being done around mysticism and social change. Uh, there's also work, you know, Buddhism is in the West has been largely influenced by Thich Nhat Hanh and his ideas about engaged Buddhism. Engaged Buddhism is um, a kind of community mysticism, right? So I think mystical principles absolutely apply to community liberation. Mysticism is a seeking of oneness with reality. That's how I think of it. And part of that reality is our intrapersonal and interpersonal relationships. So I think the principles of mysticism can absolutely apply to social change. So let me tell you something that I've been doing that uh, I don't expect anybody else to do. Um, I didn't expect myself to do this, hmm. but about 11 years ago, in a conversation I had with Jim Finley, and you know I love him so much. I think he is one of the modern mystics of our time. He's such a gifted teacher. I love listening to him, and people can go on YouTube for free and listen to Jim Finley's presentation, uh, or you can buy them from the Center for Action and Contemplation. He has two sets of CDs that I highly recommend. One is called Following the Mystics Through the Narrow Gates and the other is Jesus and Buddha. And I've listened to mm -hmm. them both numerous times. Well, I was talking about, about something that Jim Finley recommended. And even when he recommended it to me, I thought, I'm not going to ever do that. But his recommendation about how to read about, a, about mysticism um, is that you read, you take a book like one of Meister Eckhart's very difficult to understand book of sermons or maybe even a commentary about Meister Eckhart and you read a paragraph and then you write that paragraph out, you paraphrase it in your own language. Mm -hmm. 
and you go through paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of do, doing that. It's hard work, mm-hmm. but it's really, really having a payoff for me. And um, I can see by doing that how it is that Finley himself has absorbed so much of this material. Mm-hmm. Um, I started listening today to a set of CDs that Sherry gave me some time ago of Thomas Merton giving talks to the, to the young monks in Gethsemane. Mm. And um, so I'm just trying to get into that world to see more and more how these people that I have such uh, admiration slash envy for and about how they get into the position of um, being these mystics who claim no special knowledge whatsoever. And mysticism, by the way, is not uh, some higher level of consciousness. It's a breakthrough of consciousness in ordinary life. Yes, that's right. This is, I love that the phrase everyday mystics. And I think, yeah, that, yeah this, this, this idea that um, so much of what I think is a little bit alienating um, as a woman and also to the ordinary person in reading William James is that his study of mysticism was really all geared towards people who were sort of already clergy members or had some sort of religious calling or were participating in organized religion in some way. And so it's sort of this, and none of them were women, by the way, none of the people that he studied in his um, book on the, the sort of behavior of a mystic. Why can't I think of the name of that book right now? It's his classic text. <laughs> um, anyway. Varieties of religious experience. Thank you. The variety is not very variable. It's, it's all men, all identified as Christian. Um, and I imagine all European. And so I just, you know, but I think that that mystical experience is available to us in any given moment. It's just sort of, to me, finding ourselves where we are in the moment that we are there mm-hmm. and holding on to it, that that's a possibility is that sort of something more that we keep living for. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one other thing is you still have a CD player. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not very many people can listen to these vintage things. I still, I have a record player. I actually love listening to vinyl, to records. It's incredible sound and it has a certain nostalgia for me, but I don't have a CD player anymore. I do not know where Sherry got these CDs, but a few years ago for Christmas, she gave me an extensive collection of uh-huh. recordings of Thomas Merton. That's wonderful. And my experience, my first experience of listening to him was, um, and I've shared this publicly before, is that he was number one, he was a genius. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, it, it, many people do not know this, but when Merton was in the university and as a graduate student, and then even after he entered the priesthood, he taught English and English composition at various universities. I didn't know that for a long time. And uh, so one in listening to him, he's, he's a genius. 
And second of all, he sounds like, and this is going to sound prejudicial, he, he sounds like somebody who is a rustic day laborer who has just barely managed to stand in front of a group and speak. <laughs> I mean, he's not a speaker. Yeah. But I remember his, the first series of talks I heard him give was on Sufism. And he, his opening line was uh, to the monks, he said, now, I shouldn't be talking to you about this, and you probably shouldn't be listening to it, but I'm going to go ahead anyway. And, of course, by then, I was just on the edge of my seat wondering, well, what in the world What's is he going to say next? Yeah. yeah. It was a great thing oh, to that's do. That's wonderful. I wonder if those are available on, a, on an MP3, on a virtual download. That'd be so great to listen to. I, if also, you go to Amazon, you can buy a machine that will convert your CD to MP3 format. Well, I have the, a little hard disk that I spent a lot of time doing that with all of my CDs some years ago. But um, yeah, I, I guess I might have to borrow your set and see if I can do it with these. And you mentioned the rewriting of text in your own words. Is there a specific text you're doing that with right now? In some ways, I feel like we're doing that with John. Um, kind of Alessio well, Divino almost. I don't know what your experience was of reading Cyprian Smith's mm -hmm. book, mm -hmm. The Way of Paradox. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy read. Mm -hmm. But I got, because that book was recommended to me by Jim Finley. And um, after reading um, that, I went to see what else Cyprian Smith had done. And he's written a little book called The Path of Heart. And uh, so that's the book that I'm working through. He was giving lecture. He was giving lectures to novice masters at the Cistercian Seminary or Monastery. And uh, they're all about the rule of Benedict. Mm -hmm. And so. Is he Benedictine, Cyprian Smith? Is he a monk or is he a scholar? No, he's, he's the same thing that um, Thomas Merton was, Cistercian. Okay, okay. okay. That's so fascinating. It, it, it makes me think of the, the, the practice of either Lectio Divina um, and one that I really love, which is kind of like blackout poetry, where you read a text and, and I do this sometimes where I cut out the words and I just reassemble them. Like I almost make a new collage with the words that I've read. I've done it with scripture. I've done it with poetry. I've torn out a random book page and done it with the words on a random book page um, can be a really rewarding practice um, because you respond to what jumps out at you as opposed to getting too into the analytical thinking mind. But yeah. You know, I, I think that Meister Eckhart's criticism of us would be that we are addicted to speed and to tripping. I don't mean like tripping on acid. I mean, we are addicted to, well, what, what am I going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. What's the payoff here? Yeah. Let's do something else. I need to, you know, it, we're looking for an experience rather than what the mystics teach is about okay. learning to be in the moment. And that's how William James did define religious experience was that it was sustained that it was deeper than just that sort of altered state of consciousness. You know, that's the moment. 
that's what we might call the, the vertical of the cross, right? That's the sort of these times out of time. But the horizontal of the cross is how do we proceed with this altered state of consciousness in ordinary life? <laughs> and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so when I came up with the title for the, the Sunday school class um, of ordinary life, Dr. Jim Bankston sort of looked at me and said, what? Sounds like you're selling insurance on your life. <laughs> insurance. Yeah. Well, no. But um, both with ordinary life and with the definition of meditation that I came up with 40 years ago, I'm not meaning this as self-serving bragging, but every year I have seen both the title ordinary life and the definition of meditation at a deeper and deeper and deeper level mm -hmm. that you know both the content and process of meditation is developing the capacity simply to be with what is that's right without judgment mm -hmm. it ain't easy no oh my gosh you you get little snippets of this all the time how much i judge myself and that mm -hmm. is the hardest one to let go of um, yeah. for me. Yeah. I really liked that other diagram of the conscious and unconscious you showed. Uh, I had forgotten about it where it, it had the sort of layers of unconscious family, um, society. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that made um, the unconscious sort of seem accessible, right? Like, oh, these are all the things that we bury. And as you, as you say, as you get deeper and deeper and deeper into meditation, um, a spiritual practice, depth psychology, then you get deeper awarenesses of these different layers. And I want to say even intergenerational layers. And that's, that is another aspect of um, liberation psychologies that I think is really powerful, this kind of intergenerational healing that can mm -hmm. happen in community, right? Um, this acknowledgement that we are not alone, even if we are all autonomous, we are autonomous individual beings. It's really important to perceive ourselves as such, I think, but mm -hmm. it's not an either or we are both and autonomous and embedded into this wider network of living and breathing and moving <laughs> that has a deep impact on us. You know, I, I also want to, want to say that it is gratifying to me, and I'm sure it is to you too, that the people who either attend in person on Sunday or um, attend via live stream are really liking this deep dive into John. I think we've gotten and, some uh, good feedback. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we have gotten really good feedback about that. And I'm I'm pleased about that because it meets one of my goals of wanting to contribute to religious education, yeah. but also to uh, contribute to spiritual well-being. Yes. Those are different things, and I'm glad that we can do that. Absolutely. I am so grateful for your deep, deep, deep knowledge of biblical history and literacy in this case, but there's something that's changing in me as we go through this, too. Um, do you feel that? Do you feel that there are shifts of awareness or ways of seeing that are happening in you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the things that I think is so exciting about being alive is that there's still so much more to learn, so much further to go. 
Yeah. Miles to go before I sleep. <laughs> Isn't that the path less taken? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All these ladies. Well, I wish you luck on Sunday. Thanks. Yeah. I and hope people I hope, will come and join well. us. Yeah. Hi, Mason. Wonderful speaker. He's really knowledgeable and really, really fun to be around. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Have fun on your Thank presentation. You. See you later. <laughs> All right. Adios.